listening to the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement. Broadcastbasement.com. Welcome to episode 82 of Cinemental. How can you talk if you haven't got a brain? I don't know. But some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. Then why don't you kiss me like everybody else does? How about new? The thing is, Bob, it's not that I'm lazy. It's that I just don't care. I came here like this so you'll know my word of death is true. And that my word of life is then true. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Movie Podcast that we can only help you enjoy listening to as much as we enjoy making. My name is Stephen Hovicki, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, Asan Godwin, and Latham Conger III. Our returning guest tonight is an award-winning film director, playwright, novelist, screenwriter, and musician who has created dramas for the BBC, Sci-Fi Channel, and NPR, mostly focused on the horror genre. Just do a search for his work on Amazon, and you won't be disappointed. As a musician, he has dozens of releases from pop to noise to soundtracks, and he's the founder of Phantom Soundtracks, a company that releases soundtracks to non-existent films, which I still love the idea of, including the award-winning score for the Chrysalis, a.k.a. Battle Apocalypse. Darren Callahan, welcome back to Cinemental. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be back. Um, so uh, let's go ahead and suffer from consumption. So, Information. starting with uh, starting with television, I continued continued my my journey down Ripper Street. Um, and now I'm getting to the end of season three of that. Uh, it's pretty good. I'm um, enjoying the just the whole overall thing that they got going on. They're slowly moving through, you know, up through the years, and uh, it's a fun watch. Uh, I watched uh, Deirdre and I watched a new French series to Netflix. Not new year wise, but new to Netflix. Uh, I think Netflix dumped a whole bunch. They must have signed a deal recently <clears throat> with one of the the French uh, television production companies or with Gilmont or somebody because it's a whole bunch of French language crime limited series stuff it just got dumped on a Netflix in the last couple of months. And uh, so we've actually been watching quite a bit of it. We watched this series called The Frozen Dead, uh, which is an eight or six or eight episode series. Uh, it was it was good. It was fun. Uh, it ended. It ended uncomfortably considering the series was in 2017 and it ends very much like it's setting up more. Uh, and then they just never made any more. So you're just like, eh, oh, well. And then uh, we just started a new one called The Chalet. Um, they do have and Hassan makes this this point and has in the past. They do have English audio for it, but. The problem is I have found watching any of the English dubbed of these television shows, you lose absolutely every ounce of nuance of the actual delivery itself. And it's so flat. It literally detracts from watching the show. Like we'll watch a show and just be like, eh, but then we'll watch it in French reading the subtitles and it's far more interesting. So I, I don't know if it's because we're, we're more focused on it because we are reading it. Uh, I don't know if it's because necessarily because of the translation, but I, I personally think it's because the delivery on the, the dub track is just so flat and, and just not in any way expressing kind of the feeling that you get from the actual language. So we've just gone back to reading. So it's just, you know, better off that yeah, way. And most dubbing is you lose something with it so the only well the only you know there's a well i mean you know what have gotten a lot better at it i mean obviously the early kung fu movies were you know were obviously the, the best joke of all time about that where the old kung fu dubs you know they're just you know, now you shall die you know that kind of thing but you know they've really gotten really good at doing those now to the point where you get a movie like crouching tiger hidden dragon and you actually had all your leads did their own English audio tracks as well as the Chinese language tracks as well, you know, so they were actually dubbing themselves. So that was actually pretty nice. 
including several of the actors who just learned the, you know, learned the dialogue phonetically. Phonetically, yeah. Yeah, just and just read it off that way. So I it on a movie like that, it's much appreciated. You know, um, you guys mentioned uh time crimes in a past episode. And I just want to say yeah. when you watch the Spanish time crimes, the acting's really good. When you watch the English time crimes, the acting is is really stiff on it. Um, still wow. great movie, but but a total total difference in experience between the French and English. Uh, sorry, the Spanish and English language tracks yeah. of time crimes. Yeah, I've never watched Great. I've never watched the dubbed version, so I I, I I don't know, but yeah, I totally get that. I and mean, it's not <clears throat> this this last few weeks watching this uh, a lot of French TV on Netflix has just shown me the you know the real difference in exp- just to the actual experience from the actual material that it makes and it's just it's night and day uh so getting into movies i watched uh last week i watched the uh, the candidate because i've been i've been going through old robert redford movies ones that i missed <clears throat> for particular re- for whatever reasons and uh the candidate popped up on it was either Amazon or HBO Max. So I, uh, I, I think it was HBO Max. So I watched The Candidate. Um, obviously, <clears throat> uh, not not super timely. Obviously, it's a little, little dated for the time. But uh, the 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 final scene in that movie is just absolutely brilliant. I uh, just absolutely, absolutely wonderful. I agree um, that that last scene and the scene of him in the car going blah 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 are like yeah. The, the best <laughs> And then uh, I watched we watched a movie that I, uh, I I've, I've literally had on my Netflix queue since it was dropped onto Netflix. And for whatever reason, we just never, never clicked on it. But we finally watched Nightcrawler with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Mm. Yeah, it's on my to watch list, too. Just. Okay. Oh, OK. <laughs> never mind. <laughs> what? I thought I thought it was just OK. But then you're. Oh, really? like you were about to light it up. Uh, no, you know? I, I, I thought it was, I thought it was a great flick. It's, it's, yeah. it's, 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 you know, you know what? I understand where people would watch it and not that, and not have that sort of feeling about it because that character is so, I can see how he would come across as super unlikable. Because yeah, he's, I don't... He, he's a bit spectrumed and he just, the way he kind of goes through everything in that film without going into a whole lot for anyone who hasn't seen it. Yeah, it's I, I thought it was it's definitely worth watching. It's uh, it's a really interesting character study, to say the least. I kind of have a, um, a bias against movies where like everybody is kind of a despicable person because yes. it's like a it's a you know, it's a commentary on the, the on the on the lifestyle or, yeah. you know, whatever. So but it's like, man, I can't follow anybody into this, <laughs> you know, into this flick. So, you know, that's probably why, it, you know, but I think it's a good movie. It's a it's a solid yeah. film. Yeah, uh, I watched uh, a few documentaries Saturday morning. I watched uh, a movie on art forgery on Netflix called Made You Look, which was really really interesting um, about a whole uh, basically a, ser- a a round of art forgeries that went on for ten or eleven years out of this gallery in New York City, uh, involving about eighty million dollars worth of painting sales uh, of the abstract expressionists from the mid mid twentieth century and just absolutely stunning like people like faking this one it all it all wrapped up to one guy there was a chinese artist who was just copying paintings and giving them and selling them to this lady and then this lady was was copying them as originals to these galleries and they were so good that the people that the galleries went to to verify them as as legitimate artwork were signing off on them and saying oh yeah this is must just be an unknown jackson pollock you know, or this must just be an unknown uh, Mark Rothko that we've never known about, because you know that stuff still happens. You know, stuff still just shows up. So it's the same as a uh, uh, murder among Mormons or whatever that. Yeah, but yeah, kinda, yeah, a little bit. You know, and that's the thing too. It's like you know, this woman claimed that it was from this all from this collection that had suddenly resurfaced. You know, so. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, a mysterious uh, and, collection I found yeah, the, in my backyard. The, myster- <laughs> the mysterious <laughs> collection I found in this Chinese guy's garage in this um, mysterious place. Uh, yeah, and then the artist they ended up, you know, they ended up arresting the woman who was involved, and basically the artist who was a Chinese national was ended up having enough time to get out, get out, <laughs> and he's in China and. He ain't coming back. Yeah. <laughs> so they're like, 
hey, what are you going to do? Like, Farg. Yep. Uh, was he, he could it, was it possible that he was innocent and he was just doing these for her and then she was the one passing them off? The problem was is that he was, I would say yes, but the problem was he was forging the artist's signatures. And once you make that difference, yeah, then you're not be, innocent anymore. Then you're breaking the law. Like literally, if you want to copy Jackson Pollock paintings all day long, the rest of your life, you're fine. As long as you never sign his name. Yeah. You know, because then you're just making paint splatter paintings and good, you know, good for you. So, <laughs> but once you write totally Jackson agree. Pollock on there, what the funniest part of the whole thing was, is the one, the woman who worked at the gallery, who is like the intermediary, right? Who is like this person, like getting everything to go had a Jackson Pollock hanging in her office for 11 years with his name misspelled on the signature. Come on. I know. Yeah. That was, that that was the absolute (laughs) most fabulous point of the entire documentary. As soon as I saw that, I'm just like, no, 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 I'm sorry. That's that's your fault lady. (laughs) You deserve to get fleeced. Uh, I watched a fun uh, documentary on, on Netflix called the last blockbuster which uh, basically is about the blockbuster store in Bend, Oregon uh, that still exists and they still continue to license the name from Viacom and uh, they are still up and running. They still operate. So that's a whole di- that's a subject of an entire documentary. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it starts, it starts off when, you know, cause it talks about how blockbuster came to be, how they rose to magnificence. And then it basically, the movie starts off when there's like, I think nine left including including and then there were like four and three of them were in alaska and then and then all of those closed and so the last one is in bend oregon and now people just go there because it's the last one so they get people traveling from all over the world to go and take pictures in front of this blockbuster video because you know it's the only one that's still around uh i watched a documentary on uh Dolly Parton called Dolly Here I Am also on uh, on Netflix, which was I think it would have been a little bit better if it wasn't self-produced by her people. I think it would have been a little bit more well-rounded. It was super interesting. Don't get me wrong. It gave a lot of backstory to like her starting a lot of really great old footage of her young and kind of moving up through the years. I just felt like it was a little lacking in some areas. And I think it would have been, if it was more independently produced, I think it would have been a little better, but still a lot of fun to watch. If you, if you don't know much about Dolly Parton. Actually, I've been listening to a few of her really early records She's obviously always a stunning songwriter and very good, but I was like, what was it like at the beginning? So right. I put the first three records in my queue and I've been spinning them and they're, they're quite good. She has written apparently more than 5,000 songs in her life. Wow. She's like Bob. And, and she's and, and according to, and according to the documentary, there are more than a thousand that people have never even heard. Wow. Well, uh, she has always been her own motor and she's uh, an amazing personality and humanitarian and, and uh, yeah. theme park owner. So I, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Dollywood. I think that's great. Uh, so then we watched a couple of, uh, a couple of horror movies on Friday night, or I'm sorry, Saturday night. Uh, one of them was a new one on Netflix called the block Island sound, which I would definitely recommend watching because it, takes you down one path like it's going to go this is your this is your this is your evil and then it completely does a 180 on you and the evil is something completely unexpected um the only thing i wish they would have done differently is i wish they would have waited till closer to the end for that reveal i just thought that they they revealed that just a hair too soon in the movie but other than that it was fun to watch. Uh, I thought it was pretty unique in its, uh, in its story, uh, something new to something new and fun. And then, uh, we watched a really terrible one called no escape room. And the well, only was it, black it, Island it, sound on Netflix. Block, block Island sound is on Netflix. Block Island. Okay. Block Island. Yeah. And, uh, so I watched no escape room, which was clearly an escape room ripoff. Duh. Uh, from sci-fi channel. And, the problem with it stems from, and again, it wasn't that bad, which I was actually kind of surprised about because I figured it was going to end up being like an asylum movie where it's just bad start to finish. It turned out to be not that bad, but then it suffered the great ill of not 
being able to know how to end itself. So what they did was not end it, which was annoying in its own right. So there you go. Uh, Sunday morning, I got up and I watched Ice Station Zebra, uh, the old Alistair McLean adaptation with Rock Hudson. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, two hours and 50 minutes long. Uh, it's it's a long movie. Does it hold um, up lot- at all? I enjoyed it. I thought it was, I thought it was a lot of fun to watch. I'd never seen it before. Um, I was always a fan as a child of that movie. It was on television all the time throughout the eighties, but um, I, uh, I haven't seen it in, in since that time. And I've always wondered if it's still good. And it, well, it was funny too, because the copy I had had like the opening where it's like a still shot of the sub and it just plays music for three minutes and it says overture you know, and then there's a break in the middle where it's three minutes yeah, of music, and, and then there's an intermission. And you know, for the you know, I was actually I was like, wow, this is like you know, old presentation. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, no, I remember the same thing. It being on the TV all the time when I was a kid, and I just never, never thought to watch it or whatever. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was fun. Um, I mean, classic old Cold War stuff. You know, but- it's weird about Alistair. He's he was so huge. Uh, when I was a child, I mean, his books were everywhere, like Guns and Averon, yeah. and they were all getting made into movies. He was the, I don't know what the equivalent with Tom Clancy of today or whatever. Why, Robert Tom, Ludlum yeah, yeah. was after him. That's And it's just weird, like him, Leon Uris, you know, some of those people that were on my father's bookshelf. Nobody reads that anymore. It's so weird. They didn't sustain at all. Right. And they were they were huge numbers in the 60s, 70s, early 80s. So. Well, they were they were the, they were the precursor to the modern action film yeah. or the modern, you know, the source material for the modern action film. Really? Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> then I, re- I watched Quatermass in the Pit, which I'd never seen before. Man, what a fun movie that was. Just yeah. just great old hammer silliness. And it is, you know, silly, bad special effects. And, you know, obviously, clearly everything is a set and but just fun it's the top to bottom. Uh, and then I watched um, a movie which I had always meant to watch and never gotten around to, uh, Brainstorm. Man, Brainstorm. Mm, wow. You've never seen Brainstorm? No, I'd never I watched it. it. I, I remember when it when it was coming out and everything, when they were pushing all this stuff, because I was, you know, it was a big it's deal. William to, Hurt, right? Uh, no, Christopher, uh, Walken. Christopher Walken, Natalie Wood. Oh, uh, okay. Cliff Robertson. I'm thinking of... Uh, um, Never mind. Can I can I, can <laughs> I interject? I won't interrupt you. Can I interject <laughs> yeah. my brainstorm story here because I get so Please. rarely to tell this story. But when I was <laughs> when I was a child, I was maybe ten years old. It was nineteen eighty two, eighty one. I went to um, I went to a seventy millimeter screening of Brainstorm, and uh, wow. when when they're not in brainstorm the program, you know, the, the helmet they wear that puts them in virtual reality. Um, it looks like a TV aspect ratio. And when they put on the helmet and go in there, it's like super widescreen, amazing color, like the best pic- wow, picture okay. you've ever seen. So I, I saw it in the theater, but no one in America did. It was a big flop. And then it came out on video and a lot of people started to see it on video. And I explained to them, oh, it's cool when they put on the helmet and the thing happens and people would be like, what are you talking about? It's just a TV ratio the whole time. And I'm right, like, it's a bunch of lights, right? I'm yeah. like, no, no, it's, it's like when they go in the brainstorm, this thing happens and it's really yeah. spectacular. And then I finally rented the VHS of it and I realized <laughs> it's all pan and scan cropped. Like they cropped all that out. <laughs> so uh, it wasn't until like, I think it came out on Blu-ray and a pretty poor Blu-ray version of it that I was like, see, I knew it did this. I didn't dream it. It was weird. <laughs> <laughs> That's my story. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it's pretty. It's a pretty mediocre film overall. Uh, uh, but I, I, it's one of those things that I'd always wanted to see, and just had never gotten around to. I mean, it's you know, it's nice to see Natalie Wood again. I haven't seen her in anything in a long, long time. Um, Christopher Walken acting about as normal as you'll ever see him in a film. Uh, you know, just a regular guy, for pretty regular. <clears throat> Cliff Robertson who at that time was playing a lot of like corporate bad guy level kind of roles. And in this, he's, he's in that role kind of, but he comes around kind of on the fence a little bit. Um, I like the heart and attack, uh, the heart attack scene. Granted, my father died of a heart attack, but that heart attack scene I think is amazing. 
Yeah. Yeah, well, then everything they attached to it as well. I mean, that was like a, a cornerstone of the film. And then, yeah, and obviously Louise Fletcher was was just absolutely brilliant in that. I, wa- I, I was wondering as I was watching it because they made her character just this absolute chain smoker in the film. It's like, I wonder if she actually smoked or if it was just something she did for the role because like she would finish a cigarette and start up another one immediately afterwards. And I'm like, man, did that movie take a toll on her? Because... <laughs> It's just one of those things. Well, you know, as a screenwriter, that's an interesting story to me because as it begins, you're like, okay, they've invented this technology and it's got visual coolness to it. And then the corporation tries to steal it. So it's a thriller. But then she, the heart attack scene happens and you're like, wait a minute, this is about life after death. It has nothing to do with this other corporate thing. It's actually yeah. the B plot of it. And I'm like, wow, that's so weird. So I love it. Wait for them to switch gears or like without even you real a lot of people even realize it's it. not the movie you think going in for the first 45 minutes an hour it's it's a thriller and then that happens and you're like wait a minute this is like 2001 this is crazy so yeah absolutely absolutely it's all about unlocking that experience mm-hmm. um and then uh, i watched the the two movies for the show and then this morning i i i put myself through justice league uh, yeah. My son has seen that and he spoke quite highly of it, but I have yet to give four hours to it. I'm mixing a record right now and I'm, I haven't had a chance, but I will. I will watch it. Latham, will you watch it? Uh, I got to watch the, I have to go all the way back, watch Man of Steel, then Batman versus Superman, then Justice League regular, and then the Justice League. Oh, okay. Okay. So you've got a little while. All right. Uh, yeah. Uh, it was discussed heavily on, uh, on the rogue wave podcast today. And uh, I know that uh, Hassan and my opinions of it differ. Uh, yeah. I, I got, I dumped out of that when it just became a roast fest. Remember, like, okay, <laughs> Yeah. I like, just, uh, and I'm just, trying to like make points about like, it's not a great movie, but I mean, it's a, you know, a lot of people enjoy it and sure. uh, you know, certain things and everyone's like, no, fuck it. You know? So, all right, never mind. Well, and my my <laughs> only, only my opinion to myself. <laughs> the only thing I'll say is, is with and, and this is now with a week of <clears throat> or almost a week of people talking it up and you know it maintaining a really good number. My feeling is that the people who would normally badmouth this, I don't think they I don't think they want to. Because they're the ones they feel that they're the ones who got it made. So it's like in order to ensure that they have that power moving forward, if they something that they feel they were a part of getting into creation, they do every bit their part of making it successful. It only empowers them moving forward on the next thing that becomes the next hashtag, uh, you know, a campaign to to get redone or you know whatever whether it's sonic the hedgehog or uh you know a recut of a movie or whatever it might be but be. um but it could be they liked it, it yeah <laughs> and listen i don't disagree with you it could very well be that i just feel considering i i don't think generally i'm super far off of other people when it comes to the quality of a film i like a lot of uh, my, my bar is pretty low and watching justice league i just felt like at four and a half hours there's a really good three-hour movie in there i just don't feel it's it warrants the four i guess it's not four and a half i guess it's four hours and two minutes or something like that seven minutes four hours and seven minutes um but nine minutes of that is credits holy crap um you didn't have to watch that no i didn't but i when i was when i was fast forwarding at the end i just noticed that nine there was nine minutes left and i'm like wow yeah there was no uh there's no stinger on it so, well, right. uh, you've you've convinced me to write a very strongly worded letter to get a four-hour version of Cats, the director's cut out. Oh boy! So, well, at least the one with the assholes added. Yes, in. please, because I know there's a <laughs> there's got to be uh, a version of that movie that works somehow. Yeah, <laughs> it's considering how well the play works, you'd think there would have to be. <laughs> Does it work? Does it? I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> 
Uh, so there you go. Uh, we'll we'll get to, you know someday we'll have a rousing conversation about uh, Justice League. But until that day comes, uh, I, I I don't need it. <laughs> or maybe we won't. <laughs> yeah, I don't need us to have a rousing conversation about Justice League, especially once Latham sees it. It's not gonna. It ain't gonna go well. You never know. You never <laughs> no, know. I know. I already know. <laughs> I know. I don't. I, I, we've never. We've never he's sat gonna, down and discussed he, deeply his so, feelings about the run of of Marvel. Films, gonna, so I don't know. He's going to get to the fifth slow motion scene in Man of Steel and put his foot through his television, <laughs> and then he's going to get mad at us because he destroyed his television because on our behest. So the only way I can watch Justice League for next week's podcast is by watching it now. While I'm doing this podcast, so it's on in the back. <laughs> It'll be half over by the yeah, because it's like it's like nine hours worth of worth of movie watching just to just to get up to date with it. You know, it was it, well. You know, what's funny is you know you mentioned the slow mo. If they actually ran all the slow mo scenes at regular speed, I understand. It would I get be it. Three and a half hours. <laughs> I get it. I get that. But I mean, I mean, here's the thing: people are complaining about slow motion, not story, not people, not acting. You know, not no, not no, no, music. I know. And I'm complaining so, about it as a joke because no, my actual issues I, with it are. Director's cut. It doesn't matter I, how long it is. It's but I'm, cut. yeah. But I'm saying like that is that is when you know that when you kind of know the way it's going because of what people complain about. Mm-hmm. You know, so like like my issues with Man of Steel are structural. You know, structural and, and narrative. Yes, they're they're yes. issues in narrative. When people start talking, I'm not talking about like uh, you know all oh, that time when his his cape was CGI. So fuck that movie, you know, like that's a, that's a, that's a nonsense. Hashtag com- real cape. Yeah. It's a nonsense complaint. So when I hear people complain about this movie and there's a, it, it is not, a, it's not by any stretch of the imagination, a perfect movie. It's, it might, it theoretically might not even be a good movie in, in this sense, the same way I think that empire strikes back is not a good movie. It's, it's a great watch, but it doesn't have a beginning and it doesn't have an end. You know, so on down, settle him down. He just said something that really was not good. We, we should probably move on to Darren's movies. I heard Empire Strikes Back is not a good movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Me and Hassan, we're gonna have to have a talk. Later. This is why Siskel and Ebert were so wonderful to watch. That's right. That's true. Hey, that's a, 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 a uh, other podcast. Latham, do yeah. you know why? Han Solo decided to leave the rebellion. Why? Do you know why? Uh, this is a joke. Or in, the, a in the beginning of Empire Strikes Back. So he could be the plot device for the whole movie. In in internecine reason why he decided to leave. He had to. He had to pay Jabba the Hutt. Right, but what made him decide to leave? Because uh, he got pissed that uh, uh, Luke was kissing Leia. Nope. No, no, no. See, so do you do not know this movie like I do. No, okay. Well, so I can say the movie let, is good let, or bad if let, I want to. Let me I, guess. I, let me guess. <laughs> was it was it because he was drawing fire? The rebellion was taking fire because he was there because of Jabba the Hutt being after no. him. No, it is not. He okay. ran into a bounty hunter on Ord Mandel. Which right. he says in the story, and I even know what that bounty hunter's name was, and it was not Boba Fett. So everybody needs to get off my back when I talk about Star Wars. That's the extended universe garbage. That doesn't mean anything to that. It is, it, it, you You're can't say garbage. You can't. Point. You can't do that. <laughs> well, All I'm saying is structurally, Empire Strikes Back is not a good movie because uh-huh. it doesn't have a beginning. You know and what? it doesn't have an ending. I don't. It's a uh, great story. No, uh, death Troopers. Huh? It's no Death Troopers. No, it is not Death Troopers. <laughs> that's that's the I other problem with it. But I decided not to be that. controversial about it. You know. You know I just wanna... For those who don't know, Death Death Troopers is a non-canon novel <laughs> yes. where um, stormtroopers are also zombies. Are zombies? Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a I've got a great Death Trooper bust on one of my bookshelves downstairs <laughs> that Gentle Giant produced years ago. I'm very happy. Well, Speaking of zombies. Speaking of zombies, right. Uh, yes, I believe we've suffered enough. So Darren's partner 
film uh if you want to if you'd like to refer to it that way i don't think we can go with guilty pleasure necessarily uh is the crazies nobody gets in or out of that town now is that clear how do you intend to let the people know about all this are we under martial law oh hell's broke loose in town nobody knows what's going on let's go i taken me no place they started something they can't stop. Something that dements. Something that inflames. Something that brutalizes. It's madness unleashed by human error. Can they tame it before time runs out? 3,614 people are trapped by an unknown enemy. Five are on the run. Can they escape the spreading fury of the crazies? You can make it. I know it. Madness runs rampant. The crazies. 1973, directed by George A. Romero, with a running time of 103 minutes. A small town is invaded, first by an invisible virus, then by the military as they try to contain it. Both seek to control the citizens in very different, yet very similar ways. Darren, why the crazies? And why this crazies versus the Timothy Elephant crazies? Good point. Um, you know, this paired with Pontypool, they're similar. I try to give you guys pairings that are at least thematically linked in some way. This, like the other one, is a faux zombie film in, in, in a lot of ways. But uh, I was really late to the party of the crazies. I mean, one of my top five films is Dawn of the Dead. And I really like George Romero's work as a body of work and as a maverick and as a guy. I, I think um, what he's about is, is fantastic and what he's trying to communicate is really interesting. But I hadn't seen the crazies. It just, I just had never seen it until maybe 2000, 2002. It played at a, at the Chicago museum of art, like as a one-off $5 night thing. I went there, there was maybe six people. Um, it was a 16 millimeter print of it. So it was not, and, and you know, I'd, came into it with only having seen some still photographs and, and uh, a few other articles, but I didn't know anything. And I watched it and I have to say it was um, obnoxious. It was, uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's a very loud movie, but uh, yeah. and very frantic and, and um, pretty uneven performances. But having said all that, it stuck with me for a week. I kept thinking about it and I certainly felt it was a good dry run for Dawn of the Dead. There's a lot of the things in there that are imperfect that later were much, much more pointedly crafted in uh, Dawn of the Dead, 1978. I do like the remake. I think the remake is a strong horror film and compared to remakes like the fog or something it's it's a amazing you know so it really is is good it keeps true to everything and it is um even though it's a bigger hollywood budget sort of take on an exploitation film i don't think it's a bad movie um and i like it but um i chose this one kind of as a guilty pleasure because i really want to acknowledge its flaws while saying at the same time i i've watched it many times it has many similarities to the film i talked about when i was on last time shivers this is totally coincidental i agree um you know it's got one actor the same lynn lowry but this is yep this is just complete coincidence i didn't particularly planet it was only later that i'm like eh. as i was watching it for this podcast again i was like well it's kind of shiversy i don't know they're gonna think i'm the shivers guy um you know that's that's not really what i'm all about but I, oh no no darren you're the solange guy okay all right oh yeah that's all right. that's only here we go ready <laughs> here it comes yeah no. i uh, i definitely saw the remake of this first uh i i i I'm not sure that even when I saw the the Timothy Oliphant remake, I'm not sure that I even knew that it was a remake unless I read that just simply in passing that this was a remake of a Romero film, uh, you know, an early 70s Romero film. So I, I definitely saw the, the remake first. Uh, I'm not sure I'd even seen this all the way through until watching it this time. There were parts of this that I didn't even remember. Yeah, you know, so I, it's entire. It's funny. I do for, kind of forget the film, even though I've seen it 
probably 10 times in my life. I do kind of forget <laughs> the sequence of things and what's going on. I just remember the general tone. And, and just to let you know, uh, eight years or so after I saw it for the first time, I didn't watch it again, but I went to, um, where's the theater where Dillinger was shot in Chicago? Biograph. Biograph. Thank you. Biograph had a showing of it where it was introduced by Mark Borshot, who was one of the two filmmakers in American Movie, the documentary about the two oh. guys in Wisconsin that tried to make a horror movie. It's really funny, great documentary. But um, <laughs> Mark Borshot um, introduced it, and he it was it was two Romero movies, and Romero was actually there. They showed the crazies, and I think. The Dark Half. I can't remember what the second movie was, but um, Mark Borshot, when he introduced it, he's like, the the MC was like, tell us about the Dark Half. And he's like, fuck the Dark Half, crazies. And he was like all super into the crazies. And I was like, well, maybe this film is better than I remember. So when I saw it the second time, even though, like I said, I don't really remember every detail time to time, um, I was I did really enjoy it. So a guilty pleasure it is. There's some really successful stuff in this movie. The scenes in the doctor's office when they're when the military first shows up and they're setting up. And like you said, it's very loud. There's a lot of people moving through that scene constantly. It's a constant movement of people back and forth. The whole sequence where the girl comes in to go to work and the doctors, you know, gives her a shot and then sends her on her way with a thing. And that's all part of that sequence. And they never leave that doctor's office. And at the whole time, there's interaction between the doctor and the girl, the doctor and the uh, the the major who's in charge until the other guy gets there. Um, there's just like there's just so much stuff going on, and I think it's a very successful sequence because that goes on for like six or seven minutes at least, and lots of people talking over the top of each other. Um, just a lot of a lot of really successfully captured chaos and. You know, yeah, is it, you know, it, it's a very, I felt it was a very early Romero feeling film. Just watching it, you you get that seven early 70s, you know, Romero style, you know, we'll throw a bunch of people in white jumpsuits and gas masks and they're, you know, they're the bad guys. They're the military guys. Um, you know, some of them, I mean, some of the extras in the movie were, they just, I mean, they hired no, for this film, they hired no real stuntmen, uh, no real visual effects people. Uh, they stumbled into the fact that house fire was the house that the local the local fire department was actually doing a, a practice house fire burn on an abandoned house. And they just stumbled and just asked if they could come and film around it. And they were like, yeah, sure. Why not? So, I mean, they, you know, they just stumbled into that stuff when he was making this movie. And, you know, and, you know he shot everything in the whatever the wilds of Pennsylvania, like everything else he did for a good portion of his career. You know, I like that it feels kind of like a family film. I mean, I know it's not a family quote, like Swiss Family Robinson or something, but it, it, it feels like when all those scenes, you can tell this person just gave money to be in the movie. This person's just his dentist. You know, this is just people he put a flyer up to get, yes. you know, and and I got to say, despite all that, it's a fairly professional 70s exploitation film but i just love the localness of it uh -oh. it just feels like yep. somebody just trying to get away with murder literally you know yeah you feel like if you went to the town that they shot this movie in, you would run into these some of these people still like running the grocery store and like you know the local like you said the local doctor or whatever would be oh that was my dad in that movie or you know stuff like that i mean they had a budget of two hundred and seventy thousand yeah. dollars for this movie so i mean that that alone is just you know just kind of amazing to think about steve froze I froze. Oh, it says my interconnect connection yes, is unstable. Uh, yeah, just you guys are all good. You're, you're good, sort of back. <laughs> you're a little. You're very fast. You're doing. Uh, you're doing the Barry Allen right now. Am I doing the Jacob's Ladder <laughs> no, thing? It's, it's not that bad. <laughs> that's awful. Um, that's one of the, my that's almost like scared, the scariest visuals in that movie is that uh, that whole little that that's the first time I ever saw that in the movie. I'm like, it's so effective. Uh, Hassan, what did you think of the crazies? The crazies is kind of uh, this this movie in particular is kind of hard or strange because I saw a movie years ago called Impulse, which was a, a remake of the of the crazies. And Tim uh, Matheson, mm -hmm, Tim Matheson, and uh, Meg Tilly. Oh, and uh, when I saw the Tim Oliphant version, or when I saw the trailer for it, I was like, "Hey, this is a remake of Impulse." And then I enjoyed the. I actually, for some reason, can't 
can't explain why. I actually enjoyed uh, the the Tim Oliphant film. It's all about Oliphant. Well, yeah. I mean, it was a, it's an effectively chilling film, and it's it it, it keeps yeah. the peril, you know, in my opinion. And then it keeps you know things keep escalating, and it keeps getting worse and worse. And then I, in looking up that film, for some reason, I realized it was a remake of. Uh, uh, you know, Romero film called The Crazy. So it didn't even mention, there, there is no mention of Impulse, you know, which I actually did find after, after a lot of looking. So I saw this last. It's kind of like a Blade Runner situation where I've seen all the imitations before I actually saw Blade Runner. So, so all <laughs> yeah. the tricks, the bells and whistles that should have been impressive kind of were like, oh, that's where that comes from. That's a- <laughs> well, despite the fact that this film almost has no bells or whistles. <laughs> right. And it's, you can't, you, when you watch it, you can't help but compare it to the, to the new one. Right. And you can't, you can't yeah. help but notice that everything is kind of adorable. You know, because it was it's very low budget. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's um, oh, that's that guy's real car. That's yeah. cute. With <laughs> a van, like when they, they steal the van and then two shots later, the van's in the middle of town again, like that same van. <laughs> so like little things like that, which is fine. I don't really I don't hold anything responsible. I think the story maintains its through line. I, there's there's a little there's a little dis- discrepancy i guess in it because they keep telling the the colonel he's doing a great job but he's losing men left and right like there's whole squads of you know of ventilator guys like getting ventilated by uh, by the locals and it's not uh it, it it you know and then some there's some really clever head exploded trickery where they put a they put a gas mask on a pumpkin and then blow the pumpkin up and you're like wow all right right, right. oh my goodness <laughs> I like the movie. I think it's a. I think it's an effective movie. I don't know if I would have, you know, I don't know what I would have thought of the. I'm pretty sure I would have liked the movie if I had seen it first. You know, I it, it and I if I had seen it first, it would have been because it was it came out the year I was born. So if I had seen it first, it would have been when I was young, and so I'm sure it would have made an impression on me. Actually, I did. I did. I do remember one scene from when I was a kid. Where the guy spits on uh, one of the guys, and he's like, "Get it off me!" You know, and I remember that was that that yeah. was pretty indelible to a young man. It's like, "Oh, this is," you know, and those, <laughs> you know, the Darth Vader looking guys were were pretty terrifying when you're <laughs> when you're a kid. It's like these guys have no faces. And then you know, there's the you know, you have to you have to be a uh, kind of familiar with Romero's work to see the social commentary that they had in there. It was very subtle this time. Yeah, with the Black Colonel, and I'm glad he didn't hang a lantern on it too much. Because the guy was a failure anyway, because he lost containment in the town. He lost, he had to have lost like 30 troops. And then. Oh, at, at, at it, a minimum. And then at the end, they're like, hey, yeah. we're great job. We're moving you on mm-hmm. to the next place. They, they flew him out. having a problem there. And it's like. Now, see, what, it, what would have been. A, it's not his fault, though. Well, it's like. No. I, no. I feel like the colonel. Uh, did he, was he successful? Was he not? You know, the, the point is, man, are we successful in containing coronavirus? No, it's the people that are fucking this up. You know, uh, it's just people like, uh, but you know, I, I gotta say it was a terrible idea to move everybody into the high school. Can you imagine with coronavirus saying just, okay, social distance, but everyone in the high school, yeah. you know, it's just like a terrible That's idea. Also there's, there's this weird trope. There's this, you know, it's, in these movies where the people who know things just don't share any information. So it just makes the, the, the people who are not in the no panic, like, okay, so you can blame them for panicking instead of listening. But then again, it's not like there haven't been atrocities, you know? So, you know, just if, if you want to engender trust, just say, look, there's, there's some fucked up shit happening. We're trying to contain everything, you know? I would lie to them and say we've we've determined that all of you are, you know, are positive or you know like a or negative. Excuse me. I we've determined that all of you are negative. Right. So just wait here while we clear the town out and clear out the contamination. That would have bought them a little bit of time, but they just like the the mayor's like, what the hell is going on? The guys like, I don't know. It's just a thing. Don't worry about all these uh, UV lights and everything we're putting up and thousands of troops that are falling yeah. out of the sky. And, you know, don't worry about any of that. We're good. Everything's all good. What always, what always, what always kills me about movies like this is like whenever they, they show the military moving into a small town or whatever to contain the town, I'm always thinking to myself, 
you know what, rather than going in and alarming a thousand or fifteen hundred or three thousand people, whatever the size of the town is, if you just literally had all these bodies anyway and you literally contained the yeah, town, just make a make a perimeter and, and only inter and only intercepted the people who tried to leave and grabbed them up, they couldn't radio back and say, Hey, their town is being contained. Yeah. And you'd end up interacting with like 30 or 40 people. Everyone else would just go to bed. You know, if the idea was that they were going to be in this town for 48 hours and then move on. But, yeah. you know, originally, but it's just like, so whenever I see them and they come in and make a big show of containing yeah. the town, I'm and just like, we, well, now you're just asking. You know, they, they, they <laughs> first they alarm you by telling you there's something wrong. And then they then they just refuse to give you more any more information after that. Once you right, say, hey, right. like your doctor calls up, it's like, wait, I uh, we got your chest x-rays back. So what, what's wrong? Uh. <laughs> hey, your blood's fine. <laughs> but you said you looked at my chest. <laughs> yeah, okay, we're going to have to keep looking at it. Could be something. Tell you later. You know, like, what are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, in that case, you'll just go to another doctor. But I mean, what do you, if you, you know, and especially in in rural areas where everybody's everybody thinks they're Rambo anyway, you know, and they, they're, they're survivalists anyway, it didn't take these guys long to decide that they wanted to, you know, strike out on their own, you know, and they are well aware while they're driving. It's like, we could have this thing. We don't even know if we have it. It's like, yeah, fuck it. You know, let's just get exactly. out of here. Um, but I don't think that's unrealistic. You know, I think that, I think that works. I think, I yeah. think, you know, big military organizations fuck up containment all the time. And we are, we are all, you know, immediate students of that. So um, I, I liked it. I like the, the remake a little better. I think it's a tighter film. Of course, the acting is a lot better. You know, it's more taken seriously. I think the fucking opening scene with those two kids is terrifying with it, with their, with their dad, you know, like I, just tearing the place up and then setting the house on fire. And then they cut away from the two kids. Yeah. That's, you know, I'd like to mention that just real quick. Thank you for bringing it up. The, the film, the 1973 Crazies, opens with the two children discovering that the dad is crazy. Got the cra- got <laughs> yeah. the crazies, and and burns down the house and kills everyone. And he, uh, it's really exploitation shocking. The remake. This shows yeah. you the difference between the two films. The remake has that scene, but it's 40 minutes in. Yeah. So. It's oh. and and when the when the kids and the wife are burned to death, they're behind a door. You don't see it. Yeah. And um, there's there's something about there's the sensibilities of '70s exploitation compared to the sensibilities of 2011. When was that movie? Yeah, uh, something like so, that. Uh, it's it's middle 2000s. So, yeah. 2007, nope. maybe. Per- personally, I don't I don't like to see a wife and children set on fire. Nope. So I I guess in some ways I'm okay with the change of of heart. But the fact that one film starts with a shock and the second film leads you towards a shock, yeah. although there's you know crazy in the baseball yes. field in the first. Well, nice. you see that's in a, in a in a form of narrative of who they chose to follow, right? Because the first one is just you know you're just kind of stuck you're one of the onlookers right and you're just you know the things are out of hand before you even know there's a problem in the in the remake you're looking at it through the eyes of a cop whose responsibility it is to take care of the whole town and he's slowly watching things you know that's part of his terror part of our terror is his terror and watching things kind of you know fall out of control um which is also something that I find, you know, very terrifying where people are, you know, normal people are putting two and two together. It's like, well, this happened the other day. And then, you know, there's a guy who walked on the field and I had to shoot him in front of the entire town. You know, that ain't normal, you know, and it, you know, certain other things. So, but both of them are effective That's in their own way. They, you know, they, they work. And it's the fact that this, this was yeah. the precursor to it, you know, that, that was in someone's mind. And it's just the way they shot the dad where the, the light was in his glasses, you know, so he, had, he almost had no face, but he had these, you know, these two orbs yeah. in his, you know, in his eyes, he's flashing while he's setting the place on fire. Pretty terrible. Then you realize the kids didn't fucking make it. So, you know, that's again, very terrifying. Yeah, I, when the when the one and this is not a spoiler because this is very early, yeah, nineteen seventy three. When the daughter is being like covered with a sheet and the son is right next to the daughter, yeah, and, yeah. and the doctor's like, "I didn't save the girl, but maybe I could do <laughs> yeah. the guy." Yeah. And I'm just like, "This is horrible." And I'm five six minutes into the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> things are, things have already gotten out of hand. <laughs> a, a very effective movie. I liked it. It it keeps the. It keeps the horror up. The problem with this movie, 
your choice of movie this time is be it there is no there's no explosion at the end and you so you so you blew it because (laughs) if we could have if we could have blown both casts up you know that would have been a that would have been a twofer and then you would (laughs) i'm just kidding because they blew everybody up in the tim oliphant version (laughs) they did the tim oliphant one is pontypool's um and and so it's it's by the way if if it's okay i'd like to read this one little quote before uh, we have latham go i've got this book um the zombies that ate pittsburgh it is a oh yeah it's very very rare now because it's out of print so i uh i got lucky i bought it for i think 50 bucks but it's the best like george romero you know summary book that came yeah but he says here about the crazies this film while in some ways successful has a lot of problems i think we can all agree Um, (laughs) he says i was frantic at the time personal and financial pressures and i see the film in retrospect as being too frantic its scale was too big for its budget it was rushed the cast was weak and it came close to representing but it came close to representing for the first time my personality it's the first film that a viewer might be able to identify as mine based on its style i I can see yeah that's fair absolutely fair that makes sense and I think he's I think he may even in that sentence being maybe even being a little hard on himself or a little more hypercritical of his own work than I think that you would find most Romero fans. Being. Yeah, perhaps. But, Lay, what uh, would you think? Well, you know, talking about it being exploitive, I, I, I didn't see it so much from that point of view. It, it felt like I was watching a newsreel the entire time. I mean, there's some great editing in this movie. And, you know, obviously it has its flaws, but it, like Steve said, there's so much activity going on in every scene. There's people walking, there's things being moved, there's stuff being set up. And it just feels like you're watching a real time event, Uh, you know, maybe, maybe hampered at times by, I, I won't say bad acting, just like maybe their lines aren't that interesting what they're saying. I didn't think anyone was a horrible actor in the film. Honestly, it just felt like a lot of them were just civilians like that were brought in to like, you know, make this part complete because you're playing a doctor, this part complete because you're playing a soldier. It's funny actually that you say that about the newsreel thing lay, because now that you say that it does remind, there are big pieces of that that do remind me, of the of the sequences from Night of the Living Dead that he shot as supposed like newsreel footage of like them talk you know to the reporters talking to the local sheriff and stuff like that. Yeah, it, yeah, it's very very similar. And you know, then there's those flash montages of like military stuff, yeah. and <laughs> obviously the helicopter is not above them in the forest, <laughs> but. <laughs> He sells it with the editing really well. Even the explosion isn't, you know, yep. it's not great, but it's it's enough for this movie. And, you know, it's the movie could have come off real cheap, but because it feels like a newsreel, it doesn't. So all the locations, the one government room is obviously, you know, a set that's, you know, very bare, but it's it, it's enough for what they're doing here. Um, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of night of the living dead. I think that movie's a little overrated. I understand its place in history and why it's considered one of the greatest horror movies of all time. But I think this is a better movie for Romero. I like this movie better. And there's points where the main group of people, uh, the two guys, uh, the two girls and the dad, when they're moving around where, you know, the virus is contagious and they're really like close to each other and talking and, you know, you're just like, my goodness, one of you must have this thing by now, you know? And you're just like, why aren't you backing away from each other? You know, it's just it, that that's affected. That tells me it's being effective to me. And, you know, especially from a movie from the seventies and compared to what we have going on right now in real life. I mean, I thought we're so much more attuned to that kind of behavior. Now it's just like, you look at it and go, you're like a year ago, you might not have had that realization, but now you look at it and go, why aren't you people <laughs> yeah. further away? Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and so, excuse me, but UV lights don't do shit guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're setting, we're setting these up. Yeah. They're worthless. They're just utterly worthless. Um, hang these the, black uh, yeah. my doorways. I'm safe for Corona. <laughs> I'm all good. 
You know, the one, um, the one, I think it's the one Hassan was referencing the, when the, when he shot the shotgun and the head blew yeah. up yeah. or whatever. It was real quick, but it was like, whoa, <laughs> yeah. that guy's gone. You know, it just, <laughs> yeah, that was think, really cool. I think those were the exact like, words I said. Yep. God, that guy. <laughs> yeah, that no, guy's no out of here. You know, you. it's not very, it's not very, not a graphic movie. No I mean, there's, there's blood and there's, you know, there's tasteful violence and stuff, but it's not gory. It's not. And what's funny or fun is you can tell it's the same five guys every scene. You know, it's the same. It's the same five guys every time they kill a squad. (laughs) And that's and that's the beauty, too, of putting them all in white suits. It's like all you do is be like splash. Perfect. Got it. You've clearly been shot. (laughs) I think that's the point. Part of his point was that they're all the same at that point. They're all just nameless going around trying to people kill them or put them in the high school the high school sorry i didn't know if you noticed this but there was one soldier in in the forest when clank is having the showdown with the guys where he like you know jumps back and then falls over and then his squib goes off yeah he jumps back and he kind of waits he's like this didn't happen and then it goes off and he goes yeah. oh and he falls over yeah. <laughs> like i do remember that yeah. <laughs> it was, it ever. He saw it coming. It came in in slow I motion. Was, oh no! <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. into the film at that point. Yeah, I didn't it, even notice it, that. That's funny. But um, and then I, I really thought the other effective thing he decided to do was the military drumming just kept that thing moving. Yeah, yeah still marching in, and that was yeah. out. Yeah, that was a simple but effective score that made the movie better and. You know, it, it never got old. I maybe maybe I just like military drumming, but that never gets old. If you want to just put that on anything for a movie to get moving, it, it'll work. You know, I have to say that the, the editing really sells ninety percent of it. The frenetic editing, it, which he really yeah. really perfected yeah. in Dawn of the Dead, he was a masterful editor. That may be his greatest talent. But um, the sound is also edited just as frantically and the drumming actually yes. is good because it helps keeps it glued a little bit i think the sound is a little all over the map for sound design but at least he's employing it he's he's trying techniques he would later perfect and that's interesting to me but but yeah the editing is is killer and the drums help there's no there's no bad dubbing there's no voice bad voice dubbing in the movie that i noticed a couple of the sound effects sure just because of the extent of what you're trying to do but it it you know it it's well you know every new scene when you're changing sound to the new scene yeah. he blended it or jump cut it with sound well and I, I don't know I was never I realized its place but I was never bored uh, similar to Pontypool where they were both they both held my attention the the whole time and and for what they gave I gave it their worth and that's this was obviously low budget but. You know, like you said, his editing is in direction is what I think brought this, uh, you know, forward to a movie. You know, I, I've seen a lot of his movies, but I, I like this one more than uh, some of his others. I you would know, say. he's yeah. he's got some bum movies in there, like Bruiser from 2000 is terrible. But yeah, but, you know, one. when he's on his game, he's he's so good. And when he was just finding his way, it's just fantastic fantastically interesting uh whether it's 100 percent successful i don't know but it's 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 still monkey shine it's still his yeah monkey shine but he's still his own thing but i I tell you i think the point i realized the movie was probably better crafted than i thought originally is the scene on the road where uh the nurse judy is fleeing the doctor's office with antibiotic stuff down her pants so she's driving on a country road going one direction and then her husband and friend, the two firemen, are going the opposite way. So they two cars pass each other, and the firemen say, wait, that's Judy. Turn around. Uh, and then they turn around, start to follow her, and then she speeds up. And they're like, why is she speeding up? Is she fleeing us? And they're like, well, she doesn't know it's us. She thinks somebody's right. pursuing her. And um, then they finally run into a military convoy that cuts them all off and arrests them all. And I'm like, you know, that's a really well-edited and well-executed one-minute scene. And it really is just connecting all the characters together to throw them in a van, but yet it was still suspenseful. It was still a good scene. Yeah. And, and just yeah. just to get these people to like be in the same room together, something, a plot 
just needs to figure out. Yeah. I'm like, they really took time editing and shooting that, like the scene of David running in the rearview mirror of her car and the, the arrest and the tossing in the van and her saying, I'm a doctor and everything. It's just really a great one minute <laughs> for an exploitation film. I'm like, God, this guy is good. This guy knows what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't one of them say like, uh, what was her name in the movie, Darren? Judy. Um, Judy. 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 Didn't one of them say when they passed her, like, that was Judy. Yeah, the husband does. Yeah. He's like, that was Judy. Yeah, yeah, that that little moment, too. It's Sometimes it seems like it's those, that process of showing that whole, what happened to them, to them there is not that important to the main plot, but adding, editing that well and adding that realism it, it that's important to making this movie better. And I agree with Darren that that scene is like, that's important because a lot of the movie takes place inside rooms and that's one of the few outside scenes, but it feels real. It's well yeah. lit. It's good sound, well edited, yeah. well acted. And you know, the whole movie is not quite at that technique, technical level, but at the same time, you got to appreciate the effort in a movie shot so rapidly with no money. Yeah, absolutely. With, yeah. A lot of renegade. What's kind of funny about it when I when I watched um, the crazies with the, the Tim Oliphant one, and they have the whole scene where they discover the plane in the swamp. That's a good scene. Yeah, um, and I'm like, wow, why did they go with that? That's so strange because in the impulse, it was an alien spacecraft that that crashed into the reservoir, <laughs> and I was like, well, I don't know why you would just. Why would you drag the film down to, to such a, you know, why would you ground it when you have a science fiction element there? And then you, when I watched the real crazies, it was like, oh, no, they were staying true to the uh, um, to the to the source material. It, it's uh, it's a problem. It's a military problem because the military lost a plane, you know, so this was all their fuck up in the first place. And then they come in and do a, a bang up job trying to contain it. You know, and it, it makes more sense. It works better than it does the flying saucer landed in the reservoir. And I don't even think it was in the yeah. reservoir. I think the flying saucer landed and then some kind of coolant fuel was leaking out of it and going into the dairy reservoir. So every anyone who drank milk freaked out. And I think what's his name? The lead. He was lactose intolerant. So that's why he didn't go nuts. It's a crazy movie. But uh, anyway. Sometimes that's you know, sometimes that's all it takes. You know what I like about that uh, 2010 11 remake is um, on that shot of the plane. He's like, "There's a plane underneath this boat," and then the camera like goes above the boat and starts to pan back, yeah. and it pans forever before you actually get the shape of the plane. Yeah, yeah. And a you could be like, "How did he see that plane?" Because I'm 100 meters up now, I can't see it. <laughs> yeah. But I. I at the same time, I do appreciate the fact that you as an audience member is like, I want to see this damn plane. Yeah. But then it doesn't pay it off like in 10 seconds. It takes a while before you see yeah. it. So it's cool. And it's creepy because you know there's you know there's a bunch of dead guys in that plane. You know, that's just yeah. that's, it ain't good. Nah, yeah. 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 Not good. So so another uh another solid pick for uh for Darren with the crazies that uh I'm glad I'm glad Latham enjoyed uh both films. So. Yeah, thank you guys again for indulging me on uh, my 70s exploitation binge. And for those out there who haven't seen it, know that uh, you can watch it with the sound off if the sound gets too weird. It makes perfect sense with the sound off. It's not like you're missing the giant thing. And I should also mention the whole, the probably the greatest scene in the movie, to me anyway, is when uh, Clank the one fireman and David, the other fireman, David's a green beret. They go into a house where there's five or six um, military guys. Right. And uh, uh, Clank kills everyone in the house. <laughs> and, and David wanted to just interrogate them. Uh, and Clank says, uh, Hey, you're the green beret. You didn't kill a single person. And you, at that point you're like, yeah, wait a minute. Is Clank just like jealous? Cause the whole time he's been bitching about this green beret guy with the beautiful girlfriend. Yeah. Or is he actually, starting to get crazy with lose, lose, right when I, it's i think that's really good. it's really wonderfully done in the uh in the remake um where his partner slowly yeah, realizes yeah. wait a minute i'm not right in the head am i you know i'm like like after he's got them at gunpoint for miles it, it dawns on him 
you know, and again, Clank actually has the same sort of revelations. Like I got this thing, don't I, you know, I'm, I'm acting kind of fucked up. And I, yeah. so, they, you know, both of them had their own like hero <laughs> moment, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad yeah. they kept that in the, in the remake. Cause that's a, that's a really powerful scene. Yeah. It's very, indeed. it's very weird to see character in an exploitation film. And, and whenever there's an opportunity for it, George Romero wouldn't pass it by. And certainly as an audience, we appreciate that, that they would take the time with such things. Very true. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, uh, I think that's, uh, I think that's probably it. We can probably let, uh, <clears throat> Darren, uh, go off and go to bed now. So, uh, cause obviously he's, uh, well, hey, I, w- I really want to just one more time say thank you guys for having me back. I'm always uh, pleased to be here. Thank you for uh, letting me subject you to Pontypool and the Crazies. You guys are very patient with all these choices, and I, I love you guys for it. And oh. keep the good work. And thank you. I, I listen oh, I, again. You. I appreciate you coming on short notice, and uh, we'll we'll be more than happy to have you back on. And uh, we won't uh, we won't wait six months before we have you back this time. Well, good. Let's not wait six months or any of more of us get COVID. I don't know exactly when, but I probably will be out in L.A. before the end of the year. So I will definitely uh, let you know one way or the other. I would love uh, to uh, hang out. I don't know how often you come out here, but we'll go to someplace Hollywoody. Normally, uh, uh, I am out in L.A. at least three or four times a year uh, for not only events, but uh, my business partner is in Westchester by the airport. So I'm I'm in and out of there fairly frequently. So cool. I am downtown. So it's uh, center hub of the wheel. I can go anywhere, anytime. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Thanks to Fesley and Music. Please check out our website at sentimentalpod.com for all the poster images we discuss in our Down the Tube segments. And don't forget to download and subscribe to Sentimental wherever you enjoy your podcasts. You can always listen to new episodes at sentimentalpod.com. Also, you can follow us on also major social media accounts at sentimentalpod. For Asan Godwin, Latham Conger III, Darren Callahan, and myself, we say thank you so much for listening. And as always, in the words of our friend and military industrial pawn, Truman Burbank. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Ha, ha, ha.